in the middle of a series called How to Build Better Relationships, and we just felt like after, um, after the pandemic, after the past couple of years, uh, one of the things that sort of shifted, one of the things that sort of took a hit between everything, right, between uh, political conversations to quarantining to other things, that relationships, whether they're friendships, whether they're uh, close, romantic, intimate relationships, even some of the already fractured uh, relationships and families and exes and things like that, uh, they all took a hit. They all took a hit during this pandemic. And so we wanted to take a moment, okay, this is a moment where we choose to do a series where we just, we want to be helpful, right? We want to be able to give you, uh, look at scripture and give you tools and helpful things um, to, to, to sort of work on the things that we feel like are important in your life, especially when it affects everything else in your life. Matter of fact, this is one of the core things we believe is that well, we're only as happy as our core relationships are healthy. Right now, that doesn't happy is probably a two week a word. You know, we could use the word contented or satisfied or fulfilled, right? When it comes to our core relationships, whether they're healthy or not, because if they're unhealthy, then it sort of kind of leaks into every other area of our life. Now, part of this is hard because relationships really don't come with instructions, right? Go to the next slide. Healthy relationships don't come with instructions. You know, there's no, there's no life hacks. There's no D DIY videos on YouTube, you know, that men love. And there's no, there's, no, there's no good Pinterest boards for it, you know. Like, there's a few good quotes maybe, but there's really no instructions on how to do it. You know, we don't get taught. We sort of live it out. We learn as children, and we, it changes in middle school, and it changes again in high school, and then it changes again as adults changes adults with kids and everything else. Like, it's just part of it. We don't get instructions and we just sort of fumble our way through it, which can be good because I feel like, you know, relationships are meant to be experienced, but it can also, pick, we can pick up a lot of bad habits along the way, depending on how things have been modeled for us. And so this is our theme verse in terms of what scripture tells us. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, in your relationships with one another, have, read those two words out loud, have what? The have the same mindset. Some uh, 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 translations say attitude. Have the same attitude as Jesus, as Christ Jesus. Have the same perspective, have the same mindset. Think the same way that Jesus thought. And then last week we talked about friendships and how that all kind of starts. And again, I made this statement earlier, but I really do believe that according to how we gr not just grow, but relationships are meant to be an experience. They're meant to breathe life into one another. They're meant to be oxygen. You know, they're meant to be good for one another. We read a lot of scriptures last week that kind of talk about, you know, you know, two that help each other, two, two together can help one another. One alone is, is in trouble. Three is even better but not managed. And this is why this is such a big deal. Uh, most of us, again, based on how we grow up and the, the habits we pick up, most of us, if a relationship starts to struggle, or if you struggle in relationships, you tend to grab what I call management tools. Okay, These are tools to try to manage people or to manage one another or to manage the issue that might be coming up between you and someone else. Now, I got this, just this isn't me. I got this from uh, Gwinnett Church down in Atlanta. They're part of the North, uh, North Point Churches uh, with Andy Stanley there. So this is a series they did last year. I just loved it. I wrote it down because it was so good. 
because I'm like, this is so true. Like I've, I've done all these things to try to manage relationships, right? So this is culture's relationship management toolbox. All right, so let's go through them. We try to convince the other person, right? We believe that with more information about how to view things, not just their way, but the right way, everybody with me? That they'll understand, they'll start seeing things my way. And obviously from social media, we can tell this works, right? This is so brilliant. Sometimes we convict, which is kind of pushing guilt and shame or just trying to leverage maybe the relationships you have. Look what I've done for you or how much you owe me. Or just, again, kind of straight up shame and guilt. Coerce is manipulation. How you manipulate people and manage to twist feelings and you know the buttons to push or how to get a reaction or the passive aggressive statements to make or the silence that you know will motivate action. And the fourth one is control, right? We all do this to some degree. We try to control the other person, how they think and how they feel. Now, just think about this. We all do this, and yet when someone does it to us, we don't like it, right? Like, we get angry, don't we? If someone does it to us, we don't like it, and yet it's one of the tools we all reach for. Well, if I could somehow control the situation, if I could somehow still control this and them... They could just see things my way. They could, you know, they would, they, would be, they would be fine. We could solve this little whatever, this issue. These are the things we grasp for. Now, last week we talked specifically about friendships, and we said just in terms of relationship with one another, how we do this in the way that we, we have the same attitude, same perspective as Christ. We looked at a, a passage, a, a word picture that Jesus painted about relationships in terms of judging the speck in someone's eye versus the, the plank in your own. And I got a lot of questions about judgment last week. And I just want you to know, I'm not going to be able to address it today. I promise you, we're going to get deeper into that next Sunday when we talk about fractured relationships, okay? But I just want you to know that, that a lot of people ask questions about judgment and who's judging who. And we're going to, I promise you, we're going to get to that, Okay. But it was really, Jesus was giving this example for an issue, a way of helping you understand God's perspective. Do you really see others the way God sees them? Or do you, do you, are you so blinded to you and your rightness and your sin that you can't see others the way you see them? You only see the thing you want to see, the speck. And so last week we talked about part building healthy, healthy relationships is that you need a godly perspective because it's going to cultivate empathy and humility. Seeing others the way Jesus sees them is going to cultivate in you, even if it's not a natural thing for you, the Holy Spirit will cultivate in you empathy, to be able to see how they see, to be able to understand better how they see. You may not still even agree with them, but you can be empathetic. Humility, that you don't know it all, right? That your, your way is not the right way necessarily. The way you see things isn't the only way to see things. And so it has to cultivate these things in order to see relationships grow. And that's our goal. We want us to have better relationships. Now today I'm focusing the whole day on close relationships that you choose. Okay, we're talking about romantic, intimate relationships. We're not necessarily talking about family. We're going to talk about family relationships next week. We're talking about you chose to be this close to this person. You guys with me? right? You chose this person. Out of all the people you could have chosen, you chose this person, all right? I want to show you my beautiful choice right here, romantic intimate relationships. Look at these children. Look at that. Man, I'm telling you, 
Look at those babies, right? Now this is almost, this next month will be 28 years. 28 years, yeah. And it's not because we're so old, it's because we were so, so, so young. All right, we're 18 years old in this picture, all right? Now, there was no shotgun involved. We were not pregnant, okay? I get, you know, we have to cover the answers. No, this was a choice. We made the choice to get married that young. But man, talk about, talk about not having instructions, right? Talk about not knowing anything. I mean, we dated about a year, year and a half before this point, this, this wedding, so talk about us having to learn things. Now, again, we had parents uh, that modeled the best they could, the best they could. They would tell us that, hey, we did the best we could to model healthy, you know, romantic and intimate relationships. Um, we had a good church, you know, that we were raised in. We had good Christian friends. But ultimately, we still had to learn a lot of things the hard way. Am I right, babe? We had to learn a lot of things the hard, the, the, the hard way. Look, she looks exactly the same, doesn't she? I'm telling you. And I mean, I'm so close, you know? I mean, it's really close, really. You know, dating, yeah, that's right, Dan, all right. D dating has changed a lot, okay, in the past, you know, 27, 28 years. Uh, some things haven't changed. Some things haven't changed for decades. And so I want to walk you through just kind of what, as I did some research, like what are some of the foundational things when people start to date, they start to choose these close relationships. What are they using sort of as their foundation or the things that they, that bring them together? And so this is what I came up with. First is physical attraction. Doesn't mean order of importance. It just means it's part of the equation. Okay. Physical attraction. You know, do we like one another? Do I like the way she looks? Do I like the way he looks? Do I like the way we feel uh, when we're together? Do I, you know, there's a, there's an aspect of chemistry uh, involved, you know? So that's a part of what brings people uh, together. The next is common interests, right? I mean, do, do we like the outdoors together? Do we enjoy doing the same kind of things? Uh, are you intellectual together? Do you enjoy thinking and talking about things a similar way, right? And connecting over that. Then there's entertainment. What do you, what do you enjoy doing, right? Think about your dating relationships. They're filled with concerts and dinners and, you know, walking places and going places. We used to, our cheap dates were walking around the mall. You guys remember that? Kids, there were these stores called malls. They were just big, big, big places that had stores inside, and you could walk around there for hours for free. <laughs> it was amazing. It was a good, cheap date, right? But what are the common interests, and what are the things you do to entertain yourselves? Because entertainment tends to be, and I don't know why, but it tends to be a huge part of dating culture in terms of, in terms of relationship culture. Not last, but just a big deal is that emotional needs and desires are there, it doesn't mean that you talk about them, okay? Matter of fact, most relationships don't. It doesn't mean you communicate well about them, but you bring emotional needs and desires into every relationship. And so part of what comes together, you know, all the way, you know, it could be from thrill, you know, that your, your life is a little boring, you know, and you, you, that person, everything about that person is risky and adventurous and gives you a thrill, you know, and, and it kind of pushes you to an edge you didn't have and you just, it just makes you excited every time you're with them. It's so great, you know, or your life is already like a roller coaster dumpster fire on, you know, like it's, that's already bad. So you don't need that. You need somebody stable, right? Like a rock. 
Okay? You want somebody to lean on. You want somebody who doesn't emotionally respond or react. You want somebody who's, who's, who's going to be consistent, right? And you know, again, it doesn't mean you communicate on these things. It just means that they, you bring them into a relationship and you find in each other whether you're meeting these emotional desires and needs. That's part of you know, dating, a part of courting, part of getting into these closer relationships. Now, what's funny is after 20 years of full-time ministry and just having lots of conversations with people, walking with people through relationships, through premarital counseling, these are never any of the things that people struggle with in marriage. I just want you to know that these are, these are hardly ever specifically foundationally things that people struggle with. I'm going to give you the top four things according to uh, a resource we use called Prepare and Enrich. We use it for uh, counseling with, with folks and with premarital counseling primarily. But I'm going to give you the categories that, that we, we see. They're called uh, growth areas. You know, we, never, we would never call them weaknesses, right? Not, in the, not in today's culture. They're growth areas. You scored a zero in a growth area. But I want you to see the top four. What's the first one? Say it out loud. Communication. Communication. Always the top one. Regardless of what other ones you struggle with, communication is always going to be in the top four. And here's what we know from just experience. If you struggle with general communication, communication and how you communicate with one another, then you're going to struggle with the next three. Okay? You just are, to some degree. I'm not saying it's always the same in terms of scores and numbers, but you're going to struggle with the next three. Conflict resolution. Do you know how to disagree with one another? Do you know how to fight? Do you know how to argue fairly, healthy? Do you know how to do those things? Do you know how to bring up something that someone's going to be upset about the fact that you brought it up? Same thing goes with uh, uh, per- partner styles and habits is a weird title, but it's basically about the expectations of, of what you walk into a re- marriage with and the way in which they operate, the sort of the way in which they do who they are and what they do, and you don't like some of those things, but you don't know how to talk about those things. Everybody with me? You don't know how to talk about them. They bother you. They're an issue, but you don't know how to address them. You don't know how to communicate about those. And financial management. I mean, it's a whole lot less about how someone spends money than it is about the fact that nobody talks about money. And you guys hopefully know this already, but finances are one of the greatest causes of marriages separating and eventually dying. Because if you can't communicate about money with your significant other and your spouse, it's going nowhere. You're going to have communication problems. Now, I threw up uh, just an option here because I want you to also see this, that if communication is bad enough, there is almost always a fifth one, and it's going to be one of these two. It's going to be sexual expectations or spiritual beliefs, right? Now, sometimes when we do marriage stuff, we'll, we'll let you know, like it's a PG-13 Sunday, and careful, don't bring your young kids in here. I want you to know that we're not doing that today. We're not doing that today, Okay. So I'm just, this is just for you to know. That's part of, you know, again, part of it is communication and expectation. But the same thing goes with spiritual beliefs, means conviction. That you don't know how to discuss and talk about your convictions. And that's all goes back to 
communication. Now, I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell you right now, uh, one of the benefits that I felt like we were forced to deal with, uh, Tracy and I, when we were dating, is we were long distance. We dated our senior year of high school. She lived about an hour north of here, uh, and I lived in Florida. I lived in uh, Kissimmee, Orlando, Florida area. And we had to communicate. All the other things didn't matter. We didn't get to go to concerts and dinners and, and all those things. We didn't, the common interests were still there, and, but the physical attraction side, even though it was there, I didn't get to see her. I just, just stare at a picture or something like that, you know, an actual picture. I didn't have a phone with anything on it, you know. We had to write letters to one another and kids, anybody under 25, there's a service in our country called the Postal Service. And it, you can write with pen and paper a letter and then send it to someone and several days later they will read it. And we had to do that, right? And, and hey, we learned a lot of stuff even in writing letters, miscommunication, phone calls. What's that? I can't spell. She had to get over that really fast. <laughs> Horrible horrible at it. Believe it or not, young, youngins, we used to have to pay for long distance. Really? Like you had to really be in love with somebody to call them. You know what I'm saying? Like you had to be smitten to spend the change that MCI used to charge us. Y'all get with me? Amen. Y'all with me on that. I'll tell you, y'all old enough to know. That's right. Phone cards. That's right. Figure it out. Figure out a way. This is, but this is seriously, like, I just want to bring this out because this tends to be, communication tends to be the thing that doesn't seem to come up in the foundations of early dating, you know, what brings us together, what holds us together relationships. And yet it tends to be the primary thing that people, when they struggle, they're going to struggle with in the future of their relationships. Now, I want to go ahead and read a passage about just the importance of this in terms of communication. This is a great passage from, uh, this is James, the brother of Jesus. He said, indeed, uh, we all make many mistakes. He's given grace to the, to the church and the people of God. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. And we could also control ourselves in every other way. Isn't that amazing? Here's James saying, listen, I want you to understand how important words are, what you say, what you don't say, how you say them. Look, we can all make mistakes, but if we could control our tongue, we could be perfect and control every other area in our life. Here you go. We can make a large horse go wherever we want it by the means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. And he says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that can make grand speeches, but a tiny spark can also set a great forest fire. Keeps going and says, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. James is just kind of laying down and kind of pressing into like how much your words and your communication matter. You know, it can the, that mouth can have great speeches, inspire, bring people together. But just that small thing can also set forests on fire. It can spark a fire that can corrupt the whole body, your whole life 
can change by the words that you say, by the way in which you speak, by the, by the manner by which you communicate. So here's the first thing I want to do. I'm only going to give you two things today. I'm going to spend some time on it. But one of the first ways in terms of how to build better relationships is I really want you to make communication your foundation. I don't care where you are in your relationship. You could be dating. You could be young thinking about dating. You could be older and married. You could be married for many, many years. I want you to make communication, healthy communication, the foundation of your relationship. Because again, I believe what scripture tells us, and I believe it can affect everything else in your life in terms of helping make it healthy. All right. Now, we're not talking about young people. We're not talking about how you text people and the right way to use an emoji, you know, and how you DM one another and all that stuff. We're not talking about how you communicate. We're also not talking about what you communicate about in terms of the weather, you know, or things that really don't matter. I'm talking specifically about emotional communication. Okay. How do you communicate how you feel? And everybody's wishing I did a PG-13 message right now, right? Because this is, this is a big deal. How do you communicate how you feel? The feelings that are inside of you. How do you, in a relationship, somebody you choose to be with, talk about it. Communicate with one another. Doesn't matter how many emotions you think you have. Okay, men, I swear, most men think we only have five emotions or four emotions, Right? Like anger, hunger, happy, and really happy, okay? Like those, that's it. I don't even know if women could list all the emotions they think they have, because it's a lot. But do you have, and, and, and this is where we'll start to ask the question, like, have you maybe picked up some really bad habits in terms of how you communicate your emotions? And is that causing some unhealth in your relationships? So I'm going to do two things today. Again, just two, because we could go everywhere. We could go a ton of different directions. But I want to give you what's the most helpful. I want to give you, and just again, my experience, conversation, what has been the most helpful tools and handles for you to really begin to build better relationships in your life. And this is one specifically around emotional communication. All right, let me take you through this. I made a few graphs for you to see. Um, I'm going to divide it to, again, I try to keep it simple. I'm going to divide it into two categories, okay? Stewers and spewers, okay? Stewers and spewers. Now think about a pot, a big stew pot, all right? Think about that big stew pot, like there's, there's so much stuff in there, right? Everything goes in there. Sometimes it's a mess. It doesn't even look like it should be edible, you know, which is why you have a lid right? Until it's done. And, and, and that's, that's sort of the purpose. The stew kind of brings everything together eventually, even though they're all different ingredients. And everything goes in there. And so there are, there's an emotional way in which people communicate that would be described as stewers. Everything they feel goes into the pot, all right? Everything they feel, their whole day, what somebody said at work, how, how you were greeted in the morning, what you did at lunchtime, what that call was like this afternoon, what it made you feel like, how it was when you, grew, were, when you came home, what your kids said, the, the fight you had on the phone earlier in the day. Like everything goes in the pot. And the more negative it is, I just want you to know, the lower in the pot we shove it, right? 
more negative it is. We keep the surface level kind of light. We keep it kind of, you know, simple. How was your day? Good. How you feeling? Fine. Everybody with me? There's, there are stewards emotionally, and they internally process. That's, that's the word I want you to remember. They internally process emotions. Now I want you to picture a modern artist. You've seen these modern artists. They take a big canvas or a wall, and they're all covered in their, in their, their, their junk clothes, and they got everything all around them, and they just start chucking stuff, you know, against the wall. You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this? Like, it could be full paint cans, like just slapped up against the wall, right? It could be like a, a little hand, and you've seen them like, like that, you know? You guys know what I'm talking about? And they just sort of like sprinkle this, and you'd say, what are you making? And they'd say, I don't know yet, right? I don't know yet. It hasn't spoken to me yet. I don't know. I'm just, I'm in the creative process. This is what we would call spewers, okay? Every emotion goes on the wall, Everything gets out. Everything gets poured out. Doesn't matter if it's a whole bucket full or just a little, huh, right? It goes on the wall. And, and there are so many emotions. There's anger and sadness and frustration and, and, and bitterness and what your mom said and you know, what that person might be thinking and what this, this person judged me. I know they're judging me for this and you know, what, what, this, what they believe about this and how... This person didn't say anything when they walked in the office this morning. And, you know, there's all of these things, and they just go on the wall, okay? They all go up there. That's what I want you to remember. It's an external processing. All their emotions get out immediately, and they get processed outside of themselves. Now, you're going to think that when I talk about this, I just want you to know, you're going to think that I'm applying the sexes to this conversation. I'm not. It's not exclusively men or women who are one or the other. I will tell you that in my experience, I have seen more men as stewards, and I have seen more women as spewers, but it is not exclusive. I can promise you. And a marriage doesn't have to be both. A marriage can be two spewers, and believe me, have a healthy way of communicating. A marriage can be two stewers, and if you're healthy, can find a healthy way of communicating. So don't hear me sort of apply sort of a sexism to this and then think that I'm just applying it to everything. I'm really not. It's just, a, it's natural for me because I've seen the experience in more ways than one happen where it just happens to be women are this and men tend to be more of this, internal processors versus external processors. Now, let's talk about the unhealthy habits. The unhealthy things we see when stewards and spewers are in a marriage, are in a close relationship, and they've picked up unhealthy habits and they have an unhealthy way of expressing and processing their emotions. First, stewers. There is a danger when you're a steward to want to bury your emotions, okay? Unhealthy habits are to ignore those emotions are there. Bury them down deep in the pot, I mean deep in the pot, okay? And if I bury them down deep enough, I can pretend they don't exist. I don't have to deal with them. They're not even going to be a part of the thing that I'm paying attention to. They're not on the surface anymore. I bury them and bury them and bury them. And hopefully, no one ever stirs the pot and I don't have to deal with them again. 
So there is an unhealth there to bury your emotions. As long as someone doesn't stir it up, I'm good. For spewers, one of the most unhealthy things I see is just their words are just vitriol, right? They're bitter, criticism filled with malice. They make things personal because they don't know how to separate their emotions from something to someone. So they make everything personal, personal attacks. It's just, it's toxic. Vitriol actually means sometimes like an acid, like it's an acid that tears away. And so sometimes you see those people who sort of, you know, I'm just venting, right? Because that's what they were told by, by Dr. Phil one day, that it was okay to vent. But their words are so poisonous, and they don't understand why it's unhealthy. They don't understand why they, they, they say these things, and they're like, what happened? I'm just venting. Why'd you walk away? Why are you crying, right? Why, why is that happening? And it can be a real problem. Now, what tends to show up is a default emotion, okay? Now, I just put a few down here, but this tends to be some of the ones I see. A default emotion is that because you cannot process your emotions and because you do not know healthy ways to communicate those emotions, you have a default emotion. Maybe that's something that was modeled for you. Maybe that's something that you just naturally grew into. But a default emotion is the one that when your spouse or your, your partner is kind of like you're in it, you're, you're having a conversation, you're getting after it, and, uh, and you don't want to process it and you have unhealthy ways of you know, burying things or spewing acid, you know, You'll have a default emotion, it's your go-to emotion, right? Please don't anyone look at the person beside you in this moment, okay? Your go-to emotions, right? Uh, maybe it's frustration. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's silence. You know, in the cold shoulder. Maybe it's sadness, right? Maybe it's fear. Maybe true fear grips you as a default emotion because you don't know how to process everything else. And the problem is, is that most often, because you can't process in a healthy way the emotions that you're feeling, you go to your default emotion and you and your partner, you and the person you're in a relationship with are trying to communicate with each other out of a default emotion that may not actually be the emotion you need to talk about. You with me? It may not even be. You may not even be angry. But you have to deal with anger now because your default emotion is anger. So you, have to, you respond in anger, you respond in frustration, and now you have no choice but to deal with that. And that, that may not even be the actual thing that you're feeling. It may not even be there. Now, the, the worst, I say the worst, most unhealthy things that you tend to see in these two sort of uh, expressions, if you will, two ways of communicating is sometimes spewers will shut down. They will shut down. They will shut down out of fear and shame because there is no safe place and they feel judged and condemned for having the feelings that they feel. The steward cannot understand why everything has to be externally processed. Why can't you just think about it? Why can't you just keep it to yourself? Why do you have to say everything? Why do you have to express everything? Why can't you just pray about it? They make it spiritual. Why can't you just pray about it and then, and then talk about it later? Why can't we deal with this tomorrow, right? They'll shut them down out of fear or shame. And sometimes they'll shut down 
because the person they're talking to is taking things personally. Even if it's not vitriol, even if you're not, even if you know how to communicate it decently well enough, it still requires someone to give you space to be able to share your emotions, but they're taking it personally. Or they try to fix something they see. Okay? So what happens when you start spewing all over the wall, you're spewing every emotion you have. Now, I'm gonna, I am going to pick on some men and women in this scenario, right? You're spewing it all out on the wall, and the husband looks and sees the one thing he can fix. Oh, I can fix that. Here's what you do. <laughs> See? Solved. Everything's all done. Let's have dinner. Right? Men don't do that, do they? Right? We don't even know if that was the real problem. But it's, but it's on the wall, so it, it must be a problem, and that's the problem I can fix. I can solve that one right now. Woo, let's solve it. That can be really hard because when a spewer shuts down, it can make a stewer really happy if a stewer, if a stewer believes that how they process emotions is the right way. Because it certainly looked like they're starting to process emotions in, a, in the right way to shut them down but it's the most damaging thing you can do to someone who needs to externally process. Now, for the same thing for the steward, right? Many, many stewards will look like spewers at points. Why? Because somebody in the relationship is going to turn the heat up. And you all know what I'm talking about when you say turn the heat up, right? In the conversation. Somebody in the relationship is going to turn the heat up. They're going to get that stick out. They're going to start stirring things up. They're going to start stirring that pot, right? And eventually it's going to boil over. And sometimes you try to control it. We call that a pressure cooker, okay? Sometimes you try to control it and you try to keep it down. And what happens? It erupts. Everybody with me? It erupts. And, they, and it's because of being shaken or stirred, it sometimes can boil over. And here's the problem. To a stewer... When an, when an, when a, to a stewer, to a spewer, when a stewer boils over and erupts and all their emotions come flooding out, a spewer thinks that's the healthiest thing they can do. Doesn't that just feel better? Getting it all out there? The problem is, is that to a stewer, it doesn't. Because they still haven't figured out how they are actually feeling. They never had a chance to truly process their emotions. And now it's all gone. And now it's completely changed, the conversation. Sometimes they try to keep themselves from, yeah, I said that. They try to keep themselves from boiling over, but that is just a pressure cooker waiting to erupt. Now, I want you to hear this. Regardless, okay, hear these words. Regardless of which, you, which one you identify most with and which one you identify your spouse with, stewers and spewers and all that kind of thing, regardless Scripture does tell us that we are responsible for how we say things to someone else, okay? So it doesn't kind of matter if you're a steward or a spewer. You are still accountable. You are still responsible for what you say and how you say it. Here's just a few examples. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words are going to make tempers flare, okay? That's, that's a, I mean, that's just wisdom, you know, you have to figure out ways to communicate in a way that isn't always harsh. Because you don't seem to, you don't feel like your conversations get anywhere, but you're not really paying attention to how you are talking and how you are saying things. 
Is it, again, empathy and humility that's driving those words? Keep going. 1 Corinthians 13, if I could speak with all the languages of the earth and the angels, but I didn't love others, it would be nothing but what? A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What Paul is saying here in this beautiful passage before he starts talking about love and the definition of love, who is Christ, he basically says, look, even if you did know all the words, even if you could speak all the languages to your, to your significant other, even if you could master it, but it's not driven by love, not driven by Christ, it's just noise. It's just noise. Keep going. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. It doesn't matter whether you're a stewer. It doesn't matter whether you're a spewer. Jumping to conclusions, running your mouth before you've heard everything, before you've considered everything, before you've thought about things is foolish and shameful. Keep going. This is again, going back to James. Understand this, my brothers and sisters. You must all be, let's just say them out loud together. You must all be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, right? Doesn't matter, it doesn't matter you're the way you process, but you need to be quick to listen. Listening is the key term here. Slow to speak. Slower, I would even say the good word would be slower to get angry. Now there are some healthy things you can see again in that conversation of the stewing and the spewing, let's go look at the healthy side of this, okay? The healthy side for stewers and spewers requires a couple things, and it requires a common thing, which is honesty, right? You have to be honest about the feelings that you have, okay? I'm going to say this to men, and I'm going to say this to ladies. You have to be honest, men, that you have feelings, okay? You do have them, okay? You don't like to admit them sometimes, but you do have them. And you have to be honest about them. And you have to, even though your tendency is maybe as a steward to push things to the bottom, out of sight, out of mind, don't want to think about it, in conversations with a significant other, you need to be able to say, oh no, I feel it. I do. I don't know how to say the words that I need to say, but I do feel sadness. I do feel disappointment. I do feel frustration. I do feel anger. I do feel shame. I do feel guilt. I do feel worry. Does that make sense? You have to be honest about it. I mean, I know that some, that's going to already be a stretch, but you've got to be there to have some healthy systems of communicating your emotions. For a steward, you have to be really self-aware. Again, going back to that thing, you have to know what those things are. You have to be able to somewhat call them out. You know, know what the ingredients are in your stew, not just some random mess. Now, for a spewer, you have to be honest about the things you're feeling, which again, all the feelings come out, but there has to be self-control. All right, this is really important, okay? You cannot say, you cannot insult and say personal things and feel like you're, you're putting steps towards healthy communications of your emotions because the person's going to take it personally. If you make it personal, they're going to take it personally. You can't do it. You can't have a mouthful of, of, of malice and, and hate and anger that is, that is pointed personally and expect to get anywhere. 
You have to have self-control. You have to have an honest conversation about the fact that, I, yeah, I'm, I'm upset, but maybe I'm not upset with my mother. Maybe I'm not upset with the person. I'm upset with what happened. I'm upset with what, what, what didn't happen. I'm upset with that, that thing, that experience. Self-control and honesty. The two need kind of the same thing, but they're, they're in a little bit different order. Spewers, or sorry, stewers need time. Little things, give them an hour, you know? They need a little bit of time to process their emotions. Big, heavy, important, life-changing things, give them a few days, okay? Give them time because they're going to be so much better at expressing what's actually going on when they can talk about it later. They need space. They need a safe, they need to know that it's safe to take time. They need to know that you're going to be okay with them having time to process their emotions. Okay, this is what it doesn't look like. You know, I need some time. Oh, okay. And then you just look at them for three days. That's not safe space, right? That's not safe space. They need time and safe space. Now, for the spewers, they definitely need space, okay? They need to get it all out. They might need hours of conversation because they still don't know exactly how they feel. But they got to get it all out. And they need to know that it's safe, that you're not judging them and you're not condemning them for having the feelings that they feel. They need a safe space and trust with their partner, trust with their significant other to know that they can say those things and it'd be okay. And they also need time. Because here's the reality is, <laughs> usually they want to talk about it immediately, right now, in the moment. There's no putting it off. There's no later. Hey, can we talk about this tomorrow? Like it didn't even happen? <laughs> so, so there has to be time and there has to be space. There has to be space and there has to be time. And here's the reality is that if you're a steward married to a spewer and you're a spewer married to a steward, you are going to have to sacrifice the way you would prefer to communicate to the way that they can. It requires sacrificial love. The one who'd rather just keep it all hidden and tucked down in, in, a, in a pot is going to have to sacrifice their own preferences, their own emotions to give their partner space and time to externally express because they're going to express and then that's how they process. And the person who just loves to, oh, doesn't it feel so great to get it all out there is going to have to look at the steward and say, I understand that you don't process like that. You need time before you can truly express and you would rather have the true emotion to talk about than the default emotion. It's going to require sacrificial love. But there is a healthy way. There's healthy ways for two stewards to be in a marriage. There's healthy ways for two spewers to be in a marriage. It just requires two healthy people to have an understanding of one another. That's where that empathy and that humility comes in. And, and understand that if I want to make healthy emotional communication, 
the foundation of our relationship, then it's going to require, again, that, relation, that, that experience. It's going to require some give and take of just how we process things. Okay? Now, this might fill you with like a thousand questions, okay? Especially when it comes to your marriage. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you can text those into us. That's great. But we have some amazing counselors at our church that I would love to refer you to. If this is really an issue in your relationships, if communication is a true issue, I want to encourage you to get some help. Because a third party, a third voice that can be trusted can do wonders in helping you get through some hurdles and helping you walk towards healthy communication. Here's the goal, right? Here's the goal. Psalm, this is from Psalms. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words I say and the things that I process, the way I process things in my head, my heart, the emotions, I want all of those two things to be pleasing to you, God. I want to do them in a way that's healthy with my spouse, with my partner, so that we can build a healthy foundation of emotional communication. Here's the last one, and it doesn't take much time, but the last one is mutual submission. You've probably heard me read this and talk about this for, if you've been here, every year, at least twice a year, because this is the go-to passage for understanding what sacrificial love looks like. What does it look like to put someone ahead of my own preferences, my own needs? And this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and, and this is all about mutual submission. It's this idea that, that you're going to take the place and let that other person take first place. Know you first. Now, here's how it's described, because the first verse tells us the key. We're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're not going to submit to one another because you're worthy of being submitted to. We're not going to submit to one another because you were right and I was wrong. We're not going to submit to one another because you, I'm feeling loved at this moment. We're not going to submit to one another because I feel respected so much at this moment. No, the call for mutual submission is because of our relationship to Christ. We submit to one another out of reverence for our Savior. And then he goes on to give instructions. For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. I'll explain what that word submit means in a minute. Good word picture. Keep going. Husbands are the head of the house or head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his, of his body, the church. And so he goes on and says, keep going. As the church submits to Christ, this is again the relationship that Paul's using as an example. So wives should submit to your husbands in everything, in everything. Again, not, not the things that you don't care about, not the things that don't matter to you. Well, I'll submit in that area because I don't have an opinion about it. He's saying, no, I want you to submit in everything. And that submission, really, when you go back and look at the language, it isn't the way in which some people sometimes teach it or hear it. It's not some doormat idea of a relationship where women bow to men and serve them and walk 10 paces behind them and so forth and so on. That's not what it looks like. That, that actual language and word really kind of has a picture of strength surrendered, okay? Strength surrendered. Have you ever seen a, uh, 
I think it's a, a, from Asia, the, the, the elephants in Asia. The elephants in Asia, like they're huge, okay? And they, the bull elephants there can hold and pull seven tons, okay? That's about 130 people it can hold and pull. It can crush metal just by its sheer force, and it can take down buildings. Okay, that's how strong that elephant is. And it's a beautiful picture, if you've ever seen one, and in, in, they'd be trained, how they will bow one side and one leg to let someone else climb up on top. If you want a picture of what this looks like, that's what it looks like. It is strength surrendered by choice, by intention, out of reverence for Christ that I'm submitting. That's the submission in everything that he wants to see from the church to him, to wives, to the husbands. He goes on to the husbands. He says, husbands, this means I want you to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. How? Being washed by the cleansing of God's word. Again, not by opinion, not by philosophy, not by good ideas. Like, like the, 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 the way in which he talks about uh, husbands loving their wives to set them apart. That's what holy is. To set them apart is by the cleansing and the washing from God's word. Because again, it all has to do with the perspective that I see her the way God sees her. And how am I going to know how God sees her if it's not by his word? Everybody with me? Keep going. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she would be holy again and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves him, his wife actually shows love for himself. Keep going. Not, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. I love it to say it this way. Men sometimes aren't as smart as we should be. Okay? Not that men are dumb. We just aren't as smart as we should be. And Paul has to tell them, look, this is the way Christ loved the church. It was sacrificial. It was putting her apart by the, by the washing of God's word. But then Paul also has to tell them, listen, it's like the best thing you can even do for you. The best way for you to live is to love her this way. Does, everybody make, does that make sense? Like, like Paul has to spell it out, not for selfish motivation, but so that men can understand, like this is, if I want the best for my wife and my relationship and our marriage and the way in which it's going to be, I need to love her like this. I need to see her the way God sees her, by the washing of his word. And here's the last part of that passage. Scriptures say a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a mystery. He actually says that. It's the mystery, but it's also the illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. And he says, again, I say to each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This picture, I, just, I, want, you to, I want all the married people in the room to just hear this. God really intended your marriage to be a reflection of him. He wants your marriage to reflect the beauty and the grace and the love that God and the church experience together. He wants your marriage to be that picture, that illustration 
to the world. Even when they might not be able to fully understand it, which is why it's a mystery, the whole two becoming one, I can't even get into all that this morning, but even when they can't fully understand it, it was still meant to be. Is that what your marriage is? If it's not, guys, we want you to help build, build a better marriage, build a better relationship with your, with your spouse. Because that was the goal. That was the purpose of this mutual submission of women submitting, strength surrendered in, to the authority of the man. And man loving his wife so much that he would give his life for her. And to see her always wholly set apart because of the washing of God's word. It was meant to be a picture. A recap for today and then I'll pray for us. I really, I can't probably say it enough, the healthy emotional communication piece being your foundation. Part of how that happens is mutual submission. And next week, we are going to spend more time talking specifically about broken relationships, fractured relationships, and how to maybe work to repair them, but not necessarily restore them. Restoration doesn't always happen in relationships. But how can we help you build better relationships based on some of the mistakes you've made in the past or things that have happened to you and work from there? Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you, God, for your word and the way in which it challenges us and moves us to action. And that's my prayer today, God, that this would be helpful, that your word would be helpful to us, even in understanding it within the context of some, of some illustrations and visuals of how we can better own the responsibility of our words we speak to one another and how we communicate our emotions to one another. God, I'm so thankful, again, just for uh, the marriage you've given me, um, the way in which I see other marriages in this church modeling and illustrating the beautiful love of you for your church. And God, um, I'm praying that for everyone. I'm praying that that would be what the world sees when they look at us and they look at the relationships that we are building intentionally in this church. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.